Kelvin and Karen took that picture of me without me knowing it. Does anybody know where I'm looking at? Who said Badlands? <laughs> yeah, that's the Badlands in South Dakota. We're going to preach on the Badlands this morning. Uh, let me read to you from Psalm 146. It says, Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. While I live, I will praise the Lord, and I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Is that you? Is that me? Think about your week. How much do you give God praise? Do not put your trust in princes, nor in the Son of a man in whom there is no help. His spirit departs. He returns to his earth. In that very day, his plans perish. Happy is he who has the God of Jacob for his help. Whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, who keeps truth forever. And I remind you how many times God reminds us he's the creator. Over and over he made everything. Who executes justice for the oppressed, gives food to the hungry. The Lord gives freedom to the prisoners. How many of you used to be prisoners? The Lord opens the eyes of the blind and the Lord raises those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the strangers and He relieves the fatherless and widow. He does it all, don't He? But the way of the wicked, He turns upside down. If you're not on the Lord's side, you're in trouble. But guess what? You can change teams this morning. Amen? The Lord shall reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations, praise the Lord. Say it with me. Some trust in chariots and horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord. Give Him some praise this morning. Solomon said he's higher than the high. He is the great King. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And if you're His follower, you got it made. Amen? The game's been fixed. We win. To live is Christ, to die is gain. So we cannot lose. Turn around and tell your neighbor, say you can't lose. Go ahead, if they're believing. We have two nurseries next door through the breezeway there and also Children's Church. Up to ages 12, you may be dismissed at this time. The rest of you may stay with me. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Psalm 84. Psalm 84. And we can put these three, these last three Sundays together, the two before this one, and make like a little series out of them unintentionally. But the Holy Spirit knows what He's doing way better than I do. But uh, two Sundays ago, I preached on love. Uh, this past Sunday, I preached on going fishing. All the men loved it. Uh, some went that day, I think, right after that. And today, I'm going to preach on 
Psalm 84, the Valley of Baca. I use that little caption. Uh, that's what people will see out when they get this video. And we welcome all you that have joined us live, wherever you are around the globe, and those of you that are here in the building this morning, and those of you who will get the podcast. And also, we want to welcome Peru. Is that right? Peru, yes. Welcome, Peru. Uh, that's uh, 58 countries that we know of. Some of them cannot let us know they're watching because they're in places it would be dangerous. So we appreciate all you guys that are tuning in around the globe and all of you that are here today. And most of all, we thank Jesus. In Psalm 84, uh, this is a uh, psalm of one of the guys that worked alongside David. It says, How lovely is your tabernacle, O Lord of hosts! My soul longs, yes, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. He likes being where God's at, and he's going to talk about that again uh, here in, later on in this chapter. But if you hang out with people, and Paul talks about that in the New Testament, he says, evil communications corrupt good manners. In other words, if you hang out with the wrong people, that will begin to rub off on you. If you hang out with God and His people and the Holy Spirit, that will begin to rub off on you, right? So, I mean, if you hang out with people long enough, you'll pick up things from them. I remember years ago that my wife and I, some, some friends we had, their, ha their clothes and everything smelled better than ours. I, so I said, we're going to have to start washing our stuff. <laughs> Instead of just hanging it up in the closet. So, but we, we, we borrowed the kind of detergent they used and been using it ever since because we liked that smell. We were washing our clothes. They just didn't smell as good. But, uh, so you, whatever you do, if you hang around people, and that's a small thing right there, but if you hang around people long enough, you'll begin to pick up things and that can be good or bad. That's why we've got to be careful with who we run with, right? We've got to be careful that we don't let evil communications corrupt good manners. But in this case, we're talking about hanging out with God. So God wants you to spend time with Him. And we're going to look at a verse here probably before we quit in Hebrews that talks about not letting things slip that you've heard. And, and so, matter of fact, let's just shoot that up there. If you got it, Hebrews chapter uh, 2, verse 1. This, we'll look at this on the screen. I'm sorry, verse 4. God also bearing witness both with signs and wonders. No, back to verse 1. If I put verse 4, I meant verse 1. There you go. Therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things we've heard, lest we drift away. Now, I'll ask you a question this morning, before we go back to Psalm 84. Is that part of who you are? If you have to fill in this blank, I used to, whatever, I used to study more. I used to spend more time in prayer. I used to praise more. I used to give more. If you have to put used to in that phrase, you want that to change. You don't, want to let, you don't want to let things drift away. You don't want to pull away or let things pull apart or drift away from you. Let's go back to Psalm 84. He's talking about hanging out with God. The more time you spend with God, with His Word, with people of God, those things, that's going to have an impact on your life. So he says, it's lovely. It's lovely to dwell there. He says, even the sparrow has found a home and a swallow, a nest for herself, where she may lay her young, even your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. And I, I like that phrase because it's letting us know how compassionate God is. If you remember, uh, let's uh, shoot uh, Matthew 10, 29 up there. Here's what he says about the sparrow, right? It says, not one sparrow, I think, falls to the ground. Our two sparrows sold for copper, not one of them falls to the ground. Now listen to this. 
We sing this, but sometimes I think we're a little too casual about it. Look what it says. And not one of them falls to the ground. Look at this line. Apart from your father's will. My goodness. That is a powerful statement. It's not that he saw it fall. I think a lot of times that's what we see that, that, that we sing and we think about, well, he knows where all of them, even the ones that have fell to the ground. He said, apart from his will. In other words, God's already been around the corner before we get there. So his will, he, he knows everything that's going on. He's compassionate. He knows the sparrow. He's charted the sparrow's life and its course. Your God is amazing. Man is not amazing. He, God is the one that's amazing. We have common men that serve a great God. We have a great God. And He uses common men and women. But God is great. He is way above what man can do. And, and He's powerful. And he, then look at the next word. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They will still be praising you. If you hang out with God, if you learn of Him, if you begin to know Him, if you spend time with Him, you will praise Him. It'll just, you'll start to know who He is. You'll get, you'll get grow in Him and understanding His ways. And as you, watch, as you watch Abraham, Abraham went on a journey to know God. The task came and went, but his call was to know Him. And the deeper he knew him, the, the greater his revelation became and the deeper his worship could be, right? He knew him as Jehovah Jireh, not just God is my provider, but that word actually means his provision shall be seen. No question mark with it. Not that he's just casually our provider and that he takes care of everything, but intentionally his provision shall be seen. I mean, that's the kind, and so the more God, Abraham pursued God, the more he got to know him, the deeper his revelation of God became, the deeper his worship went toward God. And here he says, blessed is the one who dwells. And that word blessed is ashir in the Hebrew. It means our way and our motion, the way we're moving, shows our end, which is happiness and the path that we've chosen. In other words, that the path that we've chosen to follow God, this word blessed means that it's somebody who's in the right path, and that path shows the beauty of the being blessed as they walk it out. It's in that path that you've chosen. And of course here we're talking about with God. He says, blessed are those who dwell in your house. They will still be praising you, Selah. And that word Selah is much like chewing the cud. It's like what you just read, go over it again, chew on it some more, and bring it back and chew on it some more, like, they, like a, an animal would chew the cud. Bring it up. I know everybody don't want to hear that, but bring it up, bring it back down, chew on it some more. That's what God wants us to do with His Word. And so think about that. Think about how compassionate God is. Think about how wonderful He is. Think about how much in charge He is, just with these few verses. And think about what it means for us to be blessed in this path. And because you hang out, the more you hang out with God, the more you will appreciate Him, the more you will love Him, the more you will praise Him, and the more you will become like Him. This shouldn't be the only time you hang out with God on Sunday morning. You need to be spending time with Him. He's your friend. 
He's your Father. He's your King. He's your Healer. He's your Deliverer. He's your Provider. He's everything. Everything you have, the Bible says, has come from His hand. You didn't get that on your own. Uh, whatever we have, we didn't get it. God opens doors. He closes doors. He's the one that's in charge. He even knows when uh, the, no sparrow hits the ground without it being part of His will. God is in charge. That's good news. Amen. Then he uses this word again. Same word I was just explaining to you. Blessed is the man whose strength is in you. And that's the journey we're on. To where we come to the place in life to where we realize our strength is of the Lord. It's not in ourselves, but it's from the Lord. The sooner we learn that, the better off we are. And the less hardship we create in our lives. You used to have a guy who went on to be the Lord many years ago. He said, we're bad about this. We're bad about saying, Lord, you got us this far. We'll take it from here. And that's not what we need to do. We need to constantly rely and trust, on the, trust in the Lord. We need to make sure that our strength comes from the Lord. And we need to recognize that our strength comes from the Lord. Can you say amen? Blessed is the man whose strength is in you, whose heart is set on the pilgrimage. Let's put Matthew chapter 11, verse 12 up there. And then this verse is the same kind of attitude that's trying to be betrayed here. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. Now, violent is probably not the best English word we could have used there, but we struggle bringing things over from Greek and Hebrew because we don't have sometimes good words to illustrate that. But in this case, when we hear the word violence or violence, we, it has a negative connotation to us, and rightfully so, but kind of the kind of culture we live in. But in this case, this word biastes means to do it with force, with a special interest which the doer has for the act, whatever you're after, you're focused on it, you have an interest in it, it's, an, it's a above and beyond the norm, it's not, well, if I don't catch this train, I'll catch the next one. And this is the best way to illustrate that. It's somebody who refuses to be denied. In other words, it's not if I don't catch this train or this plane, I'll catch the next one. It's I'm catching this plane. I'm getting on this train. See the difference? The difference is not, it's not a casual intent. It's not, oh, if I miss that, I'll catch the next thing coming. That's not this, this person's different than that. This person is the one that is going to get on that plane right? Or that train. They're not waiting. They're not going to miss this one. They're going to make sure their position, they're going to do whatever it takes to get on that boat. You hear about sometimes people being rescued from sea. They clinch. They're so determined to stay alive. They're hanging on to a board. They're hanging on to a raft. They're hanging on to a life preserver. And they say sometimes when they get these people out of the ocean and get them into safety, that they've clung to that life preserver so tight that they have to peel their hands off of it. They've just gripped it so tight. There's a guy in the Old Testament like that. I want to say David's mighty men. And he, the Bible said he stood in the pea patch or the lentil patch and uh, took a sword and killed, I think it was a hundred and some men that day. And, and the Bible says that he was so intentional about defending the pea patch or the lentil patch that they had to pry the sword from his hand. He claved to it. Somebody who's intentional. Somebody who refuses to be denied. Somebody says, I'm going in. You're not keeping me out, right? Somebody that says, this ain't happening. I'm going to stick it out. I'm, no matter what it takes, 
I'm going to accomplish this. I'm going that way. That's this person. So in, in Matthew 11 and 12, this Greek word means that. Somebody who refuses to be denied. Somebody who is intentional on making that happen. All right? We need to be that way. What would knock you off course? Right? We, we can't allow these piddly things to distract us and keep knock us off course. Things that would come into our lives or things that didn't happen or things that may have happened or somebody didn't speak to us or somebody didn't do this or somebody didn't do that. So you're just going to quit on God because of what? Think about those things. Let those things see. We're in this for Jesus. Now, I, 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 I want, how do I say this, Lord? Will you help me out here? I want you all to love me. And I love you. But in one sense of the matter, I don't care if you love me or not, I'm going after Jesus. He's my Savior. And he, none of you all died for me. I didn't die for you. I'm not going to get deterred from Jesus. He's the way, the truth, and the lie. So don't let a job, don't let something that somebody did or didn't do inside the church or somebody outside at work or one of your closest friends or whatever. Paul, Jesus, they all face that. Paul said, Demas left me because he fell back in love with the world. Took off on him. Jesus washed them all scattered the day he was going to his passion. You and I are not above that. We're not above having disappointment at times. We're not above facing adversity. You know why? Because the Bible calls our opponent, Satan, our adversary. An adversary is somebody who opposes what you and I are trying to do. You're going to face opposition. In fact, a lot of times I've noticed that when you get some uh, input from God, the devil's going to try to get in front of you and show you the exact opposite of what God said. And that's what happened. You remember those guys, the spies, right? Twelve of them went over there. They all, twelve, saw the same thing. Do you understand that? They all went over there. They saw the grapes. They saw that they'd have to be packed out of their own staves. There was, so much, so there was a wonderful land flowing with milk and honey. They all saw that. But guess what? They saw giants. They all saw the giants. They saw the good of the land. They saw the giants. And here they come back. And I'm afraid too many people are like the ten instead of the two. But they come back and they said, it's just like God said. They said, it's flowing with milk and honey, but there's giants over there. And the Bible said they were so lacking in faith that they made the whole group of people start crying like a bunch of babies. Bunch of cry sacks. They tell what we call them in America. They come over there and told them a bad report. But here come Joshua and Caleb. They didn't deny it. And there's some Christian circles that say, just deny it. I'm not denying it. The devil's real. But greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. So they came in next. Joshua and Caleb said, yeah, it's true. Land's full of milk and honey. Yeah, there's giants. But listen, but, they, but Joshua said, but the Lord said... The land is ours. Now, that's where we're at. We're the people of God. Everything in the world looks chaotic right now. I get it. But God said that He's in charge. He told us it was going to get like this. He said He was going to come back for us. He said for us to keep working while it's day because the night comes. He said for us to keep our eyes and our focus on the kingdom of God and all this stuff we added unto you. We might see all the giants out there, but God said we win. 
We need to be like those two guys. Those two guys, they saw everything everybody else said, but they were hanging what they believed on what God said, not on what they saw. Paul said, we don't walk by, by sight, we walk by faith. If you look outside, it's crazy out in the world. The whole world's gone crazy, even this country. But I'm going to tell you something, God is in charge. And this Bible is going to come true. Uh, so much of it's already come true. And everything God said about the end of time is going to come to pass. We don't have to worry. All we need to do is keep our focus on the Lord. You're not leaving here until it's your time. God has all of our days numbered. I proved that about 18 months ago. You're not leaving here until God's, uh, your time's up. So what we need to do is we need to keep both hands on the plow and not look back like Lot's wife and stay focused on the harvest, love people, fish for people, and stay in the pisteo path. Because God's Word will come to pass. Heaven and earth will pass away, but His Word will not pass away. It will come to pass. Then he says, as they passed through the valley of... Ba I mean, the, the, in this, the reason I took you to Matthew out of verse 5 there is because it's whose heart is set on the pilgrimage there in verse 5. That's a person who's not turning back, right? Somebody who is focused on the journey. And as they pass through the valley of Baca, uh, they make it a spring. The rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. And this, each one appears before God in Zion. So let me go back here. The Valley of Baca is a little bit of a mystery. Uh, they've, uh, uh, I've done a lot of homework on this. And the Valley of Rephaim, some say it might be there. Some say it might be where Mecca's at. There's just all kinds of controversy on exactly where that's at. But something that I found out, and, and it, it relates to weeping. Uh, at least a lot of people think that the word Baca has come from the Hebrew word that, that denotes weeping, then there's another school of thought that believes that it's a barren land. And that, that was something that I ran across before uh, this time. It's talking about somebody uh, looking for uh, in a barren spot, and there needs to be water there. All right? So it says, uh, so many of us are looking for this moment in our lives where there's going to be all kinds of water flowing into us, and that can only happen if we turn to Jesus. That world is barren out there. It's, it's full of barrenness. And what, what God wants us to do, like we talked about, He wants us to love, He wants us to be serious about winning the loss, and then we got to be the people who are willing to do what He said here, make a well or make a spring. You're going to go into barren places. I read some history about what they believe about Baca, that it was a place where dead carcasses were taken sometimes and trash and all that. And, and it's called, some people call it a valley of weeping. Some believe it was a place where it was barren and it needed water. So all of that together still creates a valley that is a troubled valley. That's the world we live in. We live in a barren world because we, they've rejected the Lord for the most part. We live in a world that's full of death, dying, and garbage, right? We live in a world that's full of weeping and reasons to weep. We live in the Valley of Baca, in this world. We live there. So what God's asking here, He's asking, where is the guy or the gal, the person who will be committed to the journey, no matter how barren it is, no matter how much trouble it is, and if you'll be willing to dig a well or make a spring in a barren land. You know what the Bible says? It says, blessed are the peacemakers, 
not to peacekeepers. Being a peacekeeper is easier than being a peacemaker. A peacemaker is somebody who wades into a mess and helps bring peace to it. Peacekeeping is easier than peacemaking. This person that's going through this valley is going to have a job. Are they willing to do it? Are they willing to endure the heat? Are they willing to do, endure the, the, the weeping? Are they in, uh, willing to endure the stench and the death and the dying? Because that's what you and I are going to face when we go out there for those people. We're going to go into, world, into a world that's full of all of that. Death, dying, and barrenness. We live in Baca in this world. We live in a place of weeping and a place of barrenness and a place full of trash and death and dying. And what God is asking us to do is dig a well. Now, you, you just start where you're at. Start where you're at. Start with your own family. Start in your own community. Start with your circle of friends. Start giving out fresh water. Start giving out that living water. I think that Jesus talks about us having living water coming out of us, right? You and I are those springs and wells that He wants to use. Because we're walking through this land. He said, I, I pray not, you, Father, that you take them out of the world, but you keep them in the world. God wants us to be the fountains. He wants us to be the people who have living water that's coming out of us to give to the people who come through this valley of Baca something to drink. He told the woman at the well, he said, I'll give you some water that you'll never thirst again. He spoke to us about how that when the Holy Spirit comes into our life, that we'll be fountains of living water that will come out of us. When we talk about not hiding our witness and, not, and being that person that's willing to go into the Valley of Baca, it's messy out there. It's messy in the Valley of Baca. And then he says, they make it a spring, the rain covers it with pools, this person goes from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. The word strength there is kail in the Hebrew. It means this person is fully equipped. They have access, all the resources to overcome, to win the battle. In other words, this, this actually means somebody who has, is becoming an army within themselves. They're not just by themselves. They have all the resources, and that's us, Right? He says, greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. That's us. We are the people that have access to all the resources. And then he says, O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. O God, behold our shield and look upon the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. Is that us? Would we rather be a doorkeeper in God's house. I thought about that. Doorkeepers don't do a whole lot. They don't. Would you rather be a doorkeeper than to be out there? What caused him to say that? What caused him to say, I'll just stand at the door and I won't really have a life. I'll just give my life to opening and closing the door. What caused him to be that way? Because of what we read first. He'd hung out with God and he'd learned his beauty and his love and relationship with him was better to him than anything the world had to offer. That's when life changes for us. 
when we hung out with God enough to where that what he's giving us, relational, and how he cares for us, takes care of us, and the assurance he gives us far outweighs anything the world has to offer. Remember what Paul said in the New Testament? I'll put this in my own words. He said, the world's no longer any good for me and I'm no longer any good for them. We're not compatible anymore. They're going that way and I'm going this way. That's a major moment in our lives as Christians when the world loses its, its appeal to us. When loving God and being in His house, and I'm speaking that figuratively, being with Him, having that relationship with Him far surpasses anything the world has to offer. And it is a journey. It is a journey. We don't all get there overnight. And people live their life. You know, what kind of heart is it for a guy, the guy who owned J.C. Penney? Most of us probably heard his testimony. He, he was a giver, right? He gave 10% when he got started. And they said when he died, he was giving away 90% and living on 10 And some cynics would say, well, that was easy for him to do. Yeah, but what kind of heart is that? We know people that are wealthy that don't do that. They just keep storing it up. They don't want to give any more. They just want to give the minimal. And I think a lot of Christians are minimalist. What can I do to just meet the requirement? Come on now. Don't hang with me when I'm preaching from the rafters and get, get down here in the ditch with me. <laughs> a lot of Christians are minimalist. What can I, what, what's the requirement? That's what I'll do. That's what I'll do. But where's that relationship? Somebody that hangs out with God, they can't do enough. I mean, it's just overwhelming. What kind of heart is it for a guy like the guy who, who, who started J.C.? What kind of heart is that for a guy that that would even be his goal? Most of them would be saying, no, nah, I'm just going to keep stacking it up. My grandchildren can have it. What kind of goal, what kind of heart is in a man that is that way? That's not a minimalist. What's God after? What's He require? Let me in with that. What's the minimum I have to pray? What's the least amount of Scripture I can get by with studying? Don't be a minimalist. And I guarantee you, if you spend time with God, you and I won't be minimalist. Because His love and how, how good... Listen, you need to get in front of a mirror and just see how good God's been to you. Remind yourself of that. I'll guarantee you, if we took time, we've probably got testimonies of most people in this building that should have been dead already. Maybe a car wreck, maybe a situation, <clears throat> maybe run out in front of a bus, who knows? All kinds of situations that God spared us from, that He loved us through. That he and so what I want you to do is just grow in that relationship understand that He's the greatest thing that you and I have access to. And then He says, For a day in, in your courts is better than a thousand. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of weakness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. Now think about that. That's who God is in your life. If you read science, I mean, we all need sunlight. We all need that. But we also need to be protected from the sun. It's just not, you can't just give yourself to the sun, right? You have to be protected from it as well. You need certain amount of sunlight, but you don't need to get too much sunlight. God is, He is such a good God. He's got us covered in every way. The Lord will give grace and glory. 
no good thing will he withhold from those who walk upright. This word upright, I'm going to use this word for a minute here. Some of you have heard me use it before. This word upright is tamim in the Hebrew. And it, it, it has all the normal meanings that you would think about upright, about somebody who's uh, got a standard and all that kind of stuff. But when you get to the fullness of this meaning of this word tamim in the Hebrew, when I used to read this, I used to think things like, well, it sounds like because the way we would use that word, especially in certain circles, that you almost have to be perfect, right? You have to be perfect. If, if God's going to, you're going to have to be that person who's perfect. But this word means to be coupled together. All right? In other words, this to them is somebody who's coupled with the Lord. In other words, God will not withhold anything who's coupled. Not somebody who's perfect because nobody's perfect except for Jesus Christ. But that bothered me because when you read that word upright, when you read some of these Psalms, if you don't get to the base of the meaning, you'll think it'll almost come across in our language that you've got to be perfect, right? No flaws, nothing like that. That's all what he's saying here. He's saying, and the reason this was important to me is because when I worked in the coal mine, that I, one of my jobs was to load train cars. That was one of my jobs. And, and those trains couple together, right? They couple together. And so when, when a car, and we loaded cars from every direction, from Dayton Power to uh, in, in Ohio, from Tampa Power, we loaded cars from all over the United States. And those cars would back up through the holler, right? I grew up in the holler. I worked in the holler. We did everything in the holler. We hollered in the holler. (laughs) But those cars would be coupled together, and they would back 90 cars up through that holler, and they would just start, and you would be there waiting to load, and they'd file through. And some of them would be so shiny, they would look like a new nickel. And then here would come that one or two cars, right? Rusted out. Couldn't read the numbers on them. The, everything bent all over them. Doors wouldn't shut. They looked horrible. Looked like they'd been to Vietnam. Right in the middle of those beautiful cars, there'd be two or three that looked like they shouldn't even be on the track. But they were still coupled. And as long as they stayed coupled, they went wherever that engine was going. Now, that, I thought about that as the Lord began to reveal some of this to me years ago. And I thought about how that's some people's lives, right? They, they've been through the wars. They're not as pretty as they used to be. They got some beating and banging on them. But as long as they stay coupled, they're going where the engine goes. And that's what God's saying to us. Stay coupled. Don't set yourself out. I don't care what comes against you. I don't care what disappointments you have in your life what hardships, what battles you've had, do not set yourself out. Because the only way that that car is not going to receive what the other cars is, is if it uncoupled. Didn't matter what it looked like. Didn't matter how many wars it had been through. What mattered is whether it stayed coupled. And that's the beauty. If I could take you, the guy that reminds us of this greater than anybody in the Bible, I believe, is King David. We act like, King David was a politician like we have today. He's not. He was a lover of God. And his job just happened to be to be the king. He didn't run for office. He didn't get votes. And he didn't have no political affiliation. God called him and said, you're my man. 
And he had umpteen reasons to come uncoupled. All the times he made bad decisions, sinned, he blew it. Times he was afraid. But what we learn about David was he would never uncouple himself from the Lord. He did some horrible stuff. Some of the stuff we read that he did is horrible. But he refused to come uncoupled. And every time he got in a mess or got in a jam, he would go talk to God and get instruction. He was wonderful about getting instruction from God about what to do next. and what to... he, he pulled some stunts, but he refused to come uncoupled. That's who God's talking about. Notice how, how much his coupling paid off for him. If you read the prophets, some of these prophets later on in the Old Testament, David is going to have himself a throne in the new kingdom. Do you know that? He's the prince that the Bible talks about. This prince had a guy murdered, should have murdered him himself, took his wife, had a child by them, Solomon, numbered the people. He ran off because he was a scaredy cat a time or two. Who's that sound like? Sounds like us, don't it? Getting in the flesh, making decisions on our own. Our strength is not in the Lord. That's what it, where it needs to be. We're going to do our own thing. And David kept coming. He refused to come uncoupled. That's what God's saying to us this morning. Who are the people that no matter how many wars you go through or how much opposition you face, you refuse to come uncoupled? Go with me to Matthew uh, chapter 15. Let me read you a few verses here and then we'll finish here in just a moment. In Matthew chapter 15, look what he says. Uh, don't be that person who's looking for the minimalist, the minimal thing to do. God, you, you're never going to outgive God with time, money, or anything. God, God will reward that. He's a rewarder of those who don't neglect Him, those who diligently seek Him. The word in the Greek means people who don't neglect Him. In Matthew 15, verse 21, He says, uh, Then Jesus went out from there and departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came from the region and cried out to Him, saying, Lord... Uh, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. But he answered her not a word. Now here comes this woman. She's going to illustrate what we said earlier about not being denied and also how King David was. She, she's going to stay right there. Watch, watch, watch her actions. He, he didn't answer her a word. She said, My daughter's demon-possessed. I need some help. And he said he didn't answer nothing. And the disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she cries out after us. Now, I'll guarantee you she heard that. They, she probably heard them saying, get rid of her. Now, I'll ask you a question. How many of you at that moment would have got offended and walked off? Well, they don't want us here. Right? We're, us Christians got to quit being sissies. Amen. Tell you never say, you got to quit being a sissy. <laughs> we we got to be tougher. We need to be tougher. And, and she's there. She's probably heard these guys saying, she's aggravating the snot out of us. Get her out of here. Right? 
And so they're, they're saying, she, she, she's there, she sent her away. But he answered said, I was not sent except to the lost house of Israel. So actually, he's trying to turn her away in a more humane way. Say, I'm not here, I'm here for Israel. What would you have done? Okay, I just thought I'd check. Let me go back home now. Not her. She's hanging in there. She's standing right there. Watch her. And it says, uh, <clears throat> Then she came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered, said, it is, Again, watch this. It is not good to take children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. He told her that. Jesus told her that. What would you have done? Would you have went home, got on Facebook, and run Jesus down? I can't believe he said that to me. I thought he was, right? How many times you heard that from people who are mad at God? I thought God was a, and fill in the blank. I thought he was compassionate. I thought, <clears throat> she's putting, he, he's putting her to the test here, isn't he? And she said, yes, Lord. But instead of getting offended, she just hung right in there. Like David. She said, yes, Lord, yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from the master's table. Would that be you? Would you have hung in through all that? And said, would you have been like the two spies? Listen, think about those guys. The two guys I mentioned earlier coming in on the tail end saying, and, and everybody's already upset. And you're going to be the two guys that are totally opposite of everybody else. Would you have done it? Would you have stood for God? Would you have come in in the midst of all that crying and everybody afraid and crying and the other ten guys looking at you like, and you over there, would you have took a stand? How about Micaiah? He's one of my favorite guys. Micaiah's in jail because he tells Ahab stuff he don't want to hear. He's the prophet that will tell him the truth. So these other prophets are lying to him. And he kind of senses that because he says, he says to these other uh, prophets, he says, I'll go get Micaiah. Said he, let's see what he's got to say. So they go get him. This is in the Old Testament. They go get him, and on the way up, they try to talk him in to agreeing with them. They said, now you need to get in line here and say what we say. And that's what the world would say to us, right? Get in line, don't rock the boat. Don't be talking this Jesus stuff. Don't be saying you got laws that are above our laws, but we do, right? If we, we obey the laws of the land until they conflict with God's law, and then we choose Him. And so imagine these guys, and Micaiah's going up through there, they're badgering him and everything, and I believe when he gets up there, uh, he jokes with them, right? And he, he kind of does agree with them. He said, tells Ahab, but Ahab knew better, right? So he tells Ahab, he says, hey, uh, go on up. said, you'll be fine, king. That's what they were telling him. Go to battle. You'll be fine. And then Ahab said, ah, tell me the truth. And so he tells him, you'll die if you go up to battle. He gave him the truth. And I think one of them may have reached out and smacked Micaiah. How about being in the minority? You're in the minority even in this country. A true Christian is in the minority in this country. A, a real Christian is in the minority in this country. She's standing in there. She's standing. But these are the people that God uses, that God blesses, the people that are willing to stand no matter what. And so she stays in there. She says, yeah, 
but uh, even the dogs eat the little crumbs that fall from the master's table. And Jesus answered and said to her, O woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. The kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. Somebody who says, I'm not being denied. I'm staying right here. What about Jacob? Jacob's wrestling with the Lord in the Old Testament, and he said, I'm not letting go till you bless me. What about that? I just, I just want us to be the Christians that don't give up so easy. Especially when we're praying, and when we're believing God, and when we're standing on His Word. Let's not give up so easy. Let's not... greater. See, Jesus allowed her to go through this process and her faith come out. And don't you think He didn't use that to minister to everybody else? And everybody that was there was getting ministered to. She said, yes, but the dogs eat the crumbs. Most people would have been offended right there. But not her. Sometimes I don't think we're desperate enough. Sometimes I don't think... I think we think, well, if the Lord don't come through, I'll figure out something else. That's the nature of the flesh. That's the nature of all of us. But getting surrendered like this woman, going all the way, not backing down, no matter what comes at you, those are the people God's looking for. Let's finish up in Psalm 84. We're going to go back there and finish, and then i got one more place I'll take you before we close. In Psalm 84, he says, God will not withhold any good thing from those who walk upright before Him, stay coupled with Him, not perfect, but stay... O Lord of hosts, blessed, there that word is again, is the man who trusts in you. Your journey, my journey, is about developing that trust between us and God. And as He takes you on that journey, He reveals Himself to you just like He did Abraham. What happened to a guy that when he first went out, into the, out of Chaldea, that he was so afraid that he went down to Egypt instead of staying on course. God orchestrates uh, circumstances, has him kicked right back out into the famine because God's going to prove himself to him. See, we think, well, there's something bad going on, so I've got to get out of this. But sometimes God's proven himself to us. And that's what Abraham did. He ran down there because he thought, famine, I need to get down here. But God put him right back out in the famine because God was going to show him how he was able to provide for him even in tough situations. It was going to build his faith. What happened to a man that started right there and then was willing to take his own son up and offer him as a sacrifice? What kind of transformation of trust happened between that famine and them going up on that hill. Most of you know Sister Mary. Some of you have heard me tell this story, but I'll close here. Sister Mary runs the children's home over in Letcher County. When she moved back, she, moved, she lived in California for a season, and she came back, she didn't have nothing. The only thing she had was a two-room not, or an old log cabin and another two-room shack out back and her mother's social security check, which wasn't very much at all. And they started taking in children little by little. Now, Sister Mary owns most of that holler. She's the most blessed woman in that holler. But she didn't start out that way. 
But in, 19, in the 70s, there was a snowstorm that hit so severe, and I was in that area. I grew up across the mountain in that same region. Uh, it's not that simple, though. It's not just across the mountain. But we had a snow in the 70s where I was in school at the time. We went to school five days total in January and February. That's how bad it was. We got snowed in. She was in that snow on the other side of the mountain. It snowed so much that winter that when the rains came in spring, the ground was already full of water, and that's when we had the worst flood that wiped out whole towns down in the mountains. Kind of like the one we had a couple years ago, but worse. Wiped out entire towns, several of them. She said she was waiting on a snowstorm, and she was standing out on her porch, and the bread man come across the mountain. And that's one of the highest peaks in Kentucky. He drops off down into Letcher County from Harlan County. Drops over there. He drops and she's standing on the porch. She said, I've got $10 to my name. She had at that time, she had several children and her mom had already passed, I believe, and no help with any kind of income, just trusting the Lord. She said, I knew the snowstorm was coming. She said, I knew that we would probably be in there for weeks, not days, and they were there for six weeks, snowed in. Now this is a place you have to pipe sunshine in. She kids and says the sun don't even come up to about 12 or 1 over there. And she says sometimes God forgets where they're at. They're so far back north. But she said, I had $10. And the bread man come across the mountain and he stopped in front of her house. And everybody knows her over there. And said, Sister Mary, said, I got a half a truck of bread. Said, I'll sell you everything you can buy, 50 cents a loaf. She said, I looked at that $10, thought about 50 cents a loaf. She said, I, I didn't know what to do. So there's a little country store down the road. I didn't know whether to run down there and spend all my money or whatever. She said, there were no Walmarts. You were lucky to have an IGA that was an hour away, maybe. And so she said, finally, the guy was so nervous about the snowstorm, he said, Sister Mary, I'll give you everything on this truck for $10. So she said, we took all the bread and everything you had and stuffed in all the cabinets, all the freezers. She said, I had chickens, and they, the snow was so deep, they had to get up in the trees. They couldn't stay on the ground. And she said they would drop their eggs and said I would get out every morning with raptors, take it as long as I could and find those eggs because they were falling in that soft snow and they weren't bursting and she, she just would pick the eggs. And I wept when she told me this story. She said we had eggs and bread any way you can fix it for six weeks. <laughs> and here's how she ended that story with me the first time I heard it. She said, but I knew right then that God was going to take care of me. And now she's the most blessed woman in that whole region. She's the reason we're in a food pipeline. She feeds about a hundred and some families a month. She takes care of the jail with food, everything. And there, over there where the thieves are at, there's a saying, you do not mess with Sister Mary. Don't bother her stuff. She's got that much favor, even with the thieves. But she said, I knew right then God was going to take care of me. And I thought, that's where God wants us all to live, right there. Not one sparrow falls to the ground that's not His will. Let's stand to our feet. God won't hold any good thing from you if you'll stay coupled together with Him.
Don't let anything move you off of following the Lord. I don't care what it is. I don't care if it's something going on in the world. I don't care if it's something going on in your own family. I don't care if it's something going on in the church world. At work, it doesn't matter. At school, stay focused on the Lord. Let's bow our heads. Father, we thank You for this moment we've had today. We thank You for Your Word. And I pray, God, that the Holy Spirit will encourage each one of us to stay coupled with You no matter what comes our way. Lord, if there's somebody under the sound of my voice that's not a believer, somebody that needs to be born again, that needs to surrender their life to You, today's their day. Today's their day to get coupled. May they get coupled for the first time in their life this morning. Maybe it's somebody that's watching us around the world. You need to get on your knees this morning and offer your life to Christ to be saved, to be born again, redeemed, however you want to call it, to be coupled with the Lord. Maybe you're here and you're a prodigal. Maybe you've set your car off on a sidetrack somewhere. Maybe you got disappointed. Maybe you got distracted by the world. Maybe the world became too attractive to you and you walked away. Maybe you got burnt. Maybe you got betrayed. Maybe something bad happened in your life. Maybe the devil's tried to turn you against God and you just kind of come uncoupled and rolled and coasted off there to a sidetrack. How about it this morning? How about being a prodigal? How about just turning and getting back on track and getting recoupled this morning? How about coming to your senses? The Bible says the prodigal was standing there with the swine and he came to himself. He came to himself. Is that you this morning? Do you need to come to yourself? Do you need to get recoupled this morning? And then get your lives ready as believers to give out fresh water, to dig a well in the valley of Baca that we live in. A place of weeping, a place of death and dying, a place of barrenness, a place where people need living water. Will you let that be you? Will you be that spring that Psalm 84 talks about out there in Baca? We live in Baca. Will you be the living water? Will you let the spring of God come out of your life? The greatest thing any of us can do is lead people to Christ. It's the greatest thing we can do is to provoke and point people to Jesus Christ. Better than any talent we have or anything else. Whatever your need is this morning, will you come? This altar is open.